let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, DC Council is closer than ever to decriminalizing unlicensed street vending. But as the year-end nears, sellers pushing for the change may be running out of time. DCist's Hector Arzate has been talking to vendors all about why these changes matter and how they would affect street vendor corridors like the one in Columbia Heights, where I live. It's Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. I'm here with Hector Arzate, DCist's Immigrant Communities Reporter. Um, Hector, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. A change to DC's criminal code will decriminalize street vending without a license in 2025. But it is currently still a criminal offense that can get street vendors subject to fines or arrests. And vendors want DC Council to pass two bills as emergency legislation that they say would help them right now. What exactly would these bills change for street vendors in DC? So there's two bills, bills 2449 and 2450. And so the first one is the Street Vending Decriminalization Amendment Act of 2021. And the second one is the Sidewalk Vending Zones Amendment Act of 2021. And these were actually introduced by Ward 1 Council Member Brianne Nadeau uh, last year. The first bill would decriminalize street vending without a license and make it so that vendors aren't subjected to arrest or any criminal fines that come with that. The second bill actually would sort of change the way that sidewalk vending zones are are organized uh, in a way that that street vending advocates think would reform the process. In previous years, they've described a lot of challenges when it comes to establishing their own kiosks and, and posts on the sidewalk. So this would make it more equitable in their mindset to sell on the sidewalks. What kind of challenges are street vendors facing right now with the laws as they stand? Well, currently under DC law, vendors can be subjected to fines and even arrests. On the one hand, some council members have come out and said, well, we're not currently asking law enforcement to even enforce this. Right. On the other hand, you do still have some street vendors, especially within the, the advocacy groups, who are saying that people are still getting arrested. What would the consequences look like for someone who is arrested and what kind of fines are they paying? What I've been told in previous instances is people are getting fines anywhere between $200, $300. But I have heard that the fines can actually increase significantly if it's not your first time. And so I have heard people getting fines of upwards of $1,000. Wow. How are street vendors feeling at the moment? Well, I think with the recent turn of how this legislation is going for the end of the year, they're feeling pretty upset. I've heard people say that they're feeling very sad and angry. They actually put out a, a release statement on Friday, I think it was, urging DC Council to, to really move to do something, anything for these two bills. So th what I've heard from them is that they're feeling pretty upset that these bills aren't going to 
probably make it through the year. But on a daily basis, I'm hearing people are scared. They're frustrated. I actually interviewed a street vendor named Reina, and she told me actually that she she's afraid. You know, it's she's just trying to make a living. She's just trying to support her children. And I think the slogan that the vendors have come up with for these bills is "Ni un año más," which means you know not another year, because they don't want to wait until 2025 to have this decriminalized. And just to quickly back up for a second, why are there so many vendors without licenses in the first place to the extent that they would want unlicensed vending to actually be decriminalized? Well, as I mentioned, I spoke to a vendor named Reina who works, uh, you know, over on 14th and Irving Street. And, you know, she actually told me, she described to me a process of what it's like to apply for a street vending license. And, you know, she told me straight up that it's it can be difficult and confusing. Uh, you know, she went back and forth with the D.C. agency uh, to provide the proper documents. She also says it's pretty expensive for people who are just trying to start up their business, you know. She just says it's not as easy. It's easier said than done, is what she told me. So set the scene for me. I can imagine that it's a lot of the vendors who are for decriminalizing street vending. But who wants to keep it illegal and why? A lot of people who are opposed to these two bills as they are do want street vendors to be able to make a living and support themselves and share their culture with D.C. That being said, what I've heard them argue is that the bills as they are need a lot of changes is what they've essentially said. What I've heard people say is, well, how are they going to enforce food safety handling? Say that a vendor has some sort of cooking ware, something with fire or heat. How are you going to enforce it when it's a fire hazard for the public safety? Things to that effect is what, what most people have said. Do you have any sense of how things like food safety and health safety would be insured with this regulation? From what I have heard, a lot of it would come down to, to being very similar to the way that a farmer's market operates, where there are very clear regulations for how to sell not just food, but also crafts and more artisanal items. And so that's, that's the most that I've been hearing, is that, that that's what it would be most akin to. There would still be very clear regulations, very obvious rules for how to do that. One thing that people sort of oppose to this issue have brought up is the potential for people not living in D.C. to come to D.C. and become street vendors. So I've gotten comments, notes from people saying like, oh, well, how do we know that these folks, if we just get rid of unlicensed street vending, who's to say that they're not just coming from Maryland? How does that work with with all that kind of tax purposes and things like that? And I just as a reporter, most of the people I've spoken to have lived in D.C. for years, if not decades. Yeah, that's an important note to include that, like, we're talking about a D.C. issue and most of the major players involved are longtime D.C. residents. Yeah, yeah. It's just people saying, like, they don't know where they're coming from, but I think it's pretty clear. So a report from the nonprofit Beloved Community Incubator looked at the data around who is actually being arrested for this, and they found that more than 95% of the vendors arrested between January 1st, 2018, and September 30th of 2022 were Black, Indigenous, and people of color. What does that say about, like, the communities that are really being directly impacted? Like, who is being impacted in D.C. around this, this issue? Yeah, well, in my reporting, almost everybody that I've spoken to belongs to those groups. And as an immigrant communities reporter, I would also say that immigrants make up a big majority of, of these street vendors. And I just want to say that in my reporting, a lot of the folks who I've interviewed have been families. A lot of the folks in the community who are street vendors are the sole the sole provider of their families. Um, it's not uncommon sometimes to see parents street vending with their child after school assisting them. 
what I've heard from street vendors directly is that might seem strange in the United States, but that's actually very typical in, in some cultures, especially some cultures from Latin America, countries in Central America. The family is involved in these sort of things. I've heard time and time and again, street vendors telling me like, this is what I knew how to do. When I came to this country or when I was growing up in DC, in the area, this is something I knew how to do. I knew how to make these things. I knew how to cook this food that's so near and dear to their culture, especially in DC. We have, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, what kind of food is he talking about? We're talking about like atole, you know, pupusas, uh, tamales, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, fresh cut fruit. And these are things that vendors are telling me, like, I grew up making this. My mother taught me how to do this. This is a recipe that I've known my whole life. And so when I needed a job, when I needed to make money, this is what I did. It's sort of a staple now in D.C. I think you could ask a lot of people and they'd tell you, oh, yeah, Columbia Heights, 14th and Irving. That's where a lot of the vendors are. But of course, they're not just in Columbia Heights. They're all throughout D.C. They're in many different wards. Yeah, I live in Columbia Heights, and the woman who sells mangoes on 14th Street where I live is a community staple. She once let me buy a mango on credit, so that was very nice of her. Yeah, that's not unheard of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something that I love about the community because it makes me feel like I am in a city. It's like one of the reasons I love living in a city is like all the different cultures that I get to encounter just every day. And it's like it's something that is a reminder of like I am in a city with, you know, a rich tapestry of cultures. And for me personally, it's been a nice way to engage with that. David, thanks for chatting with me. So like you and I both have cars in the D.C. metro area and sometimes they're great, but sometimes they can be a hassle. And I heard you had car issues, man. Yes, my car, like me, is old and falling apart. <laughs> and so I wanted to get it fixed. But one of the truly unpleasant tasks I find in the world is getting your car fixed because you have to take it usually somewhere extremely distant, extremely inconvenient, arrange some alternate form of transportation. And so I heard about Rota, Rota.com, and I went on the Rota.com website. And they will come and pick your car up, take it from you, and then do the work and bring it back to you. And so I made an appointment on Rota, which was easy as pie, beautiful user interface um, for the work that I wanted done. The valet showed up at around 10 o'clock at my house as exactly on time, very easy, just handed him my keys. He drove off with my car. About an hour later, April called me. She said, here are some things that we found with your car in addition to what you want to do. She sent me videos that Michael- Wait, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a car nerd, so I like want to know the nitty gritty of what's happening because I, I don't know stuff. A million percent. They sent me this video. There was a particular belt that was had broken and they sent me a video of it and they sent me a list of sort of here are the things that were recommended. Here are the things that seemed urgent to fix and I could choose what I wanted to fix and sent that back to them, which took me like three minutes. Michael, the technician, fixed it. They then texted me and said, oh, your car's on the way back. My car was back in front of my house at 2.30. I'd given it to them at 10. It was back in front of my house that afternoon. Also, note, the valet did a much better job parking in front of my house than I do. <laughs> Don't they always? So much closer to the curb. And it was an incredibly pleasant, super easy experience. And they were very trustworthy. They were clear about what they were going to fix. And it was incredibly convenient. Yeah, so this like seems like a dream. Uh, I have used them before, but it's been a bit. Would you use them again for something like this? I would like use this? Rota again in a second. I would use Rota. And they have a discount for us too, for CityCast listeners. So 
If you nice. go to roto.com, they have the discount code CityCast20 and you get 20% off. Sweet. Uh, Plot, David, thank you so much for talking with me. Again, CityCast listeners, you get 20% off off any Rota service up to $100 using the code CityCast20. So go to roda.com. That's R-O-D-A.com. Book your appointment. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. I know one concern, particularly on 14th and Columbia Heights, is street vendors and how they impact things like sidewalk accessibility. Is this something that you've heard people express? Yeah, definitely. It is a shared space, right? And that's something that I've heard in my reporting. Some people say, well, we need to ensure that people with walkers or wheelchairs can get through the sidewalk safely and conveniently. And then on the other side, the street vendors themselves, they are trying to address that directly. And so actually last week at the street vending pop-up at the Wilson building, they actually had, the street vendors had displayed these tents and they actually had a signage that said, this is what the street vending zones could look like in the future. And so there was a lot of room for people to navigate. Now, granted, that part of DC, the sidewalk is pretty big. It's right on Pennsylvania Avenue, but you know, it's just one example that they were trying to say, a model that they would like to see in the future. I'd love to know more about that pop-up protest. I know it was outside of Phil Mendelssohn's office, which is in the Wilson building. What was the vibe like? Well, you know, when I showed up with my pen and paper, everybody was sort of just hanging out, singing, buying food. There was all kinds of stuff being sold. I mean, there was Guatemalan textile. There was even, I think, someone got like Cajun pasta. Uh, you know, because it's the food that's sold by street vendors, it's not just food from Latin America. You know, it's also there's a street vendor who a lot of people know. Her name is Artemis, and she's actually from Trinidad and Tobago. There's also there's just a, a good variety. And so at the pop up, there was people selling lychee, mangoes, pasta, tamales. And, and there was even a musician there from a group called Son La Lucha. He actually wrote and performed a song that was dedicated to Phil Mendelssohn. And so they actually eventually made their way into the Wilson building to try to go to Mendelssohn's offices to, to perform the song for him. I think they even brought a plate of food for him. Were they able to get up with him? I don't think he was in his offices that day, <laughs> is what I heard. They left the food. <laughs> So I know this is kind of an evolving story. Do you have any thoughts on how we might see this playing out this week? I know that council is kind of running out of time to deal with it this session, right? Chairman Mendelssohn held a press conference earlier this week on Monday and spoke pretty plainly about the future of the bending bills. He said that council will be taking a look at the bills early next year. And when he was asked whether the recent protests and pop-ups and uh, testimony had swayed him in either direction. He actually said that the, you know, the pop-up 
and the protests didn't really sway him very much, but that the 50 or so vendors who testified earlier in November did. He also argued, you know, like other opponents of these two bills, that currently the bills don't address the government's need to ensure order for public space, consumer protection, and public health, which is something that a lot of opponents have been, you know, taking to issue with regards to these two bills. So with that in mind, uh, advocates and vendors have told me that they've been trying to schedule a meeting with Councilmember Nadeau uh, to sort of ask that she introduce the bills as emergency legislation, which would last about 90 days uh, if it went through. Hector, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Bridget. And before you go, some quick news. Mayor Bowser has withdrawn her nominee for the new head of D.C.'s 911 call center after previously defending the controversial choice. Council members had been very vocal about the fact that they would not confirm Karima Holmes, citing the fact that she resigned after a 2020 audit that pointed out several deadly mistakes at the call center. The embattled dispatch center has been heavily criticized this year, and new leadership will aim to fix that. Meanwhile, the Metro unveiled its draft budget proposal for next fiscal year, It includes three-minute train waits in popular areas, discounts for low-income riders, and a fare hike of 5%. Separately, in a safety update meeting, WMATA officials said that they're aiming to return the lines to automatic train operation, which is technically smoother and safer than human-operated. But the system had been shut down after a 2009 crash that killed nine people. WMATA says that any faulty tracks have been replaced. And lastly, remember that small plane that crashed into a Montgomery County power line last week? Well, now we know what happened. A new report from the National Transportation Safety Board found the pilot was having trouble navigating in the dark, cloudy conditions and failed to follow guidance from air traffic control. The crash left tens of thousands of buildings without power for several hours. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend who lives nearby or can't get enough of buying pupusas from street vendors? I'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. You can read DCS.com. You know, we have daily reporting from me and all of my wonderful colleagues who are on the beat. Blah, blah, blah. Excuse me.